Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode of The Book of Boba Fett, The Bobalorian, Chapter 6. Bobalorian. From the Desert <laughs> Comes a Stranger. Written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni and directed by Dave Filoni. This episode aired today, February 2nd, 2022. It's 2-2-2-0-2-2. So I feel like it's a good day. So let's talk about it. From the Desert Comes a Stranger. Caitlin, what did you think? (laughs) (laughs) Again, I had about an hour where I watched this episode before Charlotte did. And it was like a painful hour. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. I was like, you had texted me when you were up. And I was like, whatever you do. Do not even breathe near the internet. (laughs) (laughs) And I did not. So, (laughs) no. But there's like 20 minutes where I was like, Are you up? Are you out of bed? Have you started? (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) This episode was so overwhelming. And in for me, a good way, I really enjoyed this episode. I love this episode. Um, I think we're going to talk about, like, of course, the elephant in the room of now. There are two episodes that aren't really focused on Boba Fett and like what's kind of the purpose of that. I think we'll be talking about that, Mm -hmm. of course. But overall, I loved this episode seeing Din and Grogu and Luke Skywalker um, and Ahsoka too. I... I, you and I kind of talked, we actually spent a lot of time last week talking about Luke and like what he was doing and like what it would mean for Grogu to stay with Luke, to leave Luke. And then to kind of see that immediate payoff in a lot of ways in this Mm -hmm. episode was honestly not something I'm very used to. Right. That's, that's the thing. (laughs) That's what's so weird about this kind of episode and this sort of quote, new Star Wars kind of vibe is usually things are so vague, so left on the table that they're not really picked up. So it is crazy that we were able to pick this up so fast, I guess. Right? I, yeah. I don't think that's ever happened no. <laughs> for us in like our speculation train. Right, right. <laughs> um, so I think I think it was – I really loved getting to catch up with like what Luke and Grogu have been doing, what they've been talking about. But more so, honestly, I was – on second watch of this episode, I – completely lost it over Din and Grogu like had a full-on breakdown like I haven't had in a while about Star Wars. <laughs> I had a margarita too and I'm <laughs> I'm not a huge tequila drinker so it, it definitely kind of hits me a little more than other types of alcohol but it wasn't even a big margarita. It was literally like half of a margarita left over from yesterday that I never finished and anyway Din the scene where Din is standing with Ahsoka and they're watching Grogu do his meditation with Luke on like the hill. And Din is like, I just like, I want to give him this. He's, you know, he's a foundling. And Ahsoka is like, he's a Padawan now. And Din is like, I came all this way. He's right there. And the fact that he like, no, like Din believes that perhaps the best choice for Grogu right now is for him to leave, even though that's not what he wants. Um, just absolutely <laughs> broke me in a way Wrecked. that Star Wars has not broken me in a while. Um, I sent Charlotte this Snapchat of me like low-key sobbing over it. I saved it. I might put it on TikTok. Probably not. It's really embarrassing, but it's kind of funny too. <laughs> anyway, 
I really love this episode for everything that it was as a focus on Luke and Din and Grogu and what they were doing and kind of what our next steps are. And like we were talking about last week of having that of having that like sacred space of Grogu only existing in the show The Mandalorian, but like that's not how we should be thinking about these things. And again, to have that pay off immediately the next week um, was really fascinating. And it's it's odd because I don't understand the choice to have an episode, to have two episodes like this within a show dubbed The Book of Boba Fett. Like, I really don't. I don't think it makes a lot of sense, Mm -hmm. honestly, while still loving both of these episodes so much and really enjoying what it's made me think about in terms of characters like Din and Luke and Grogu. I think they've been really thought provoking in that regard. You and I have been talking about this kind of all day, like on and offline and over the phone and stuff about perhaps these shows like The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, maybe they should have been called something different to to better illustrate what they ended up being now that we've had two seasons of The Mandalorian and one season of Book of Boba Fett so far. Like, was it accurate to refer to both of these by like character titles? Um, Maybe not, especially with Book of Boba Fett. And I think having the show called Book of Boba Fett, you know, obviously sets up a certain set of expectations for how the show is going to proceed. So then, you know, to have a good chunk of it not be focused on Boba Fett um, is frustrating. Like, I can't get past that. I really miss Boba. And, um, I think about a lot of the like theories that we had at the beginning of this season and not to say that some of them can't come true or some of those like storylines can't be can't get payoff in next week's episode. But it does make me wonder thinking how much kind of time we've lost with Boba over these last two episodes. Um, So, yeah, it's complicated because I really miss Boba and I wish we had had these full two episodes with him. Quite honestly, I really do. But at the same time, these have been some of my favorite episodes of Star Wars live action television too. So I kind of, I kind of don't know what to do with it, you know? Yeah. It's hard to wrestle. I think that I just have to align with my own emotions, which is I really enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed last episode. Maybe I can reevaluate how I feel about them in a couple of weeks when the whole piece comes together. And I know that's not necessarily fair to a show that is week to week to say something like that. So, and I hope I'm not being dismissive because I'm totally with you in that I miss having a show that Boba and Fennec are the main characters, like two episodes of that. It's, it's strange. Like I almost wish that there there was a special or we were told up front about it. I don't really know how to change it beyond something I don't really know. I really don't know because I think it's good that Din is in this series and I think he'll play a role in the finale, but I'm not sure if he needed two whole episodes. But at the same time, like I really enjoyed it and I'm not going to let that take away from the fact that I really, really, really enjoyed these two episodes, especially this one. Um, I felt like it was a roller coaster of like I never knew what was going to happen next. Caitlin, you were like, the fact that we saw Grogu and Din and Luke and Ahsoka completely missing that like Cobb Vanth is in this and so is oh literal God. Cad Bane. Cad Bane? Yeah. I and, know I like leave off two, two people. Yeah. And I was like. You can't keep up. I mean, it's it's really a wild episode. Okay? It kind of is. It is so much Star Wars and so much connective tissue. I just don't really know what to do with it beyond like. Wow, that was great. I think Luke looked amazing and I'm just not over it. I think Caitlin and I were talking a little bit before this, but 
this past year, Caitlin and I tried out a different method of watching the Skywalker saga called the like Russian doll nesting order, Matryoshka. And we really, really enjoyed that order. And something that came out of it was Caitlin and I both being like, man, we miss Luke and Leia and Han, specifically Leia and Han and honestly Luke too. And I, Caitlin and I are big fans of Luke Skywalker. Luke is like Caitlin's favorite character and her OG. So it he was is. really <laughs> like girl, school girl giggling over there. <laughs> It really is. So well, can I I'm sorry, can I interject with a yeah. like small story? Um the like first Valentine's Day after Charlotte and I were like friends and watched Star Wars. Do you remember this? We, yes. <laughs> we made each other these collages like literally on paint or like kid pics. Yeah. And I made kid Charlotte picks. one that was just all pictures of Anakin. I mean, she made me one that was just all pictures of Luke, like, layered on top of each other. The thing is, is that I would totally do that next week for you. Actually, I am. I'm going to. <laughs> so, get ready. He's, he's really the OG. Yeah. Like, he is really the OG. Sorry. I was, just, I was like, it's almost Valentine's Day. I clearly remember, like, hitting send on the email. <laughs> It's just like, I don't know. It was just really special because I really bought that that was Luke. I thought he looked really yeah. good. He looked, and, <laughs> he looked great. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I'm really enjoying this situation. There's obviously a lot to unpack, like Caitlin said. But at the top of the show, I can just say I really liked the journey this episode gave us. I'm not sure it, if it was my favorite Dave Filoni directed live action show. I don't think it was. We were talking about this before. I think my favorite. I think his best actually is the first episode of The Mandalorian, the premiere episode. And I feel like it's that's hard for me to say because I've, I've liked his other ones and everything, especially this one. But I think that the first episode is still like his best. And it's cool to be able to trace that. Yeah, I think his first episode is probably the best. But I've definitely had the most emotional response to this episode, yeah. even over like the Jedi from the Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think Luke looked great. I was totally, you and I both thought it made a lot of sense for him to be the one who took Grogu um, at the end of the Mandalorian season two. I know there was a lot of discussion about that and you and I were both on the camp that that made sense for it to be Luke to yeah. come and get him. Yeah. Um, and I thought he looked good then. I think there were some moments that were a little, you know, uncanny valley with Luke in the Mandalorian. Uh, but they've clearly fixed that in, <laughs> in the book of Boba Fett because I thought he looked incredible. Like, they pushed it to a level that I just – I didn't expect this much, Luke. Oh, my gosh. Even if I did expect – It's over again. I, it is, but it's better. And I, I think it's worth also talking a little bit about it because we never did an episode on the last gallery episode. Um Maybe we did. I don't remember at this point, but there was a lot of discussion about the fact that Luke is done in a deep fake sense. It's the same. It's very similar technology. I'm not sure what this is because they haven't come out and said it. Um, but my guess is that it's similar to the deep fake, fake technology. And my perspective on that is complicated because I'm obviously looking at something that I just spent ten minutes talking about how I like. But I think that there is 
an interesting moral question about whether or not someone like the character like Tarkin, who was reanimated after he died, is with his family's with his family's approval. consent, but it's not his consent, right? And true, yeah. And it's it's a little. I don't know. It as we grow into a new technology, it makes me feel a little weird when I think through it and when I talk through it. I I think we're in a world right now where there probably needs to be some legalities and parameters and everything. It's a little different. I also with the fact that Mark Hamill is still alive, still very involved in Star Wars and things like that and I just feel like it it's worth mentioning here where I feel weird about it. However, this application is a amazing use of technology and I I don't I just don't know how to wrestle with it and I think this is like a question that I think we as you know global citizens are going to wrestle with as technology continues to like forge more into AI um and it's it's just interesting I mean I think that ILM etc has always been on the forefront of technology so it sort of makes sense that a company like them would forge the way for sort of smart use of this, but that doesn't change the fact that they're, the technicalities behind it are still being defined and the consent behind it is also being uh, defined. So um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that, that it's weird. I like how Luke looked in this and I'm wrestling with those things. I'm not a perfect <laughs> human. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And I think on the one hand, like you said, it's you know, we can track the use of this particular technology through a couple of different Star Wars projects now. Uh And this feels, at least from like the look of Luke, this feels like I would say almost as good as it can get. I don't really know how much better it could get for him to look. Um, But yeah, that that moral question of it, and it is different because like you said, Mark Hamill is very much alive and He's very much involved mm-hmm. um, in in the Mandalorian. He provided the voice, and he was also on set originally too. I I bet he yeah. was on set for this one too. I yeah yeah I I would imagine too. However, I will say you say he provided the voice. It is an AI generated voice for this too, which is also strange. Well, was it in the Mandalorian though? I knew for this, but I couldn't remember. I thought yeah, he provided it was the in the Mandalorian as well. In the Mandalorian, yeah. Okay. And I I think it. That's strange to me as well. I just don't know how to wrestle with these things. And I think it's worth mentioning on the podcast just as I don't know what to do with it. You know, <laughs> I think I hope that, you know, when looking at just Star Wars, I hope that because, of course, there are like the ramifications of like, even though Star Wars creates this technology or ILM, it doesn't mean that like and uses it well. It doesn't mean that other people aren't going to take it yeah. and use it in a not good way mm-hmm. or in an unethical way, whatever everyone ends up deciding the ethics of it are, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope when just looking at it inside the Star Wars world, I hope that this doesn't mean that we completely rule out like recasting of people, you know, yes. like Alden as Han or even the, I should have his name, but the the actor who played the live action Luke, you know, for like the face mapping and stuff or, or whoever else down the line could play Luke in a live action series that, isn't Mark Hamill, you know, um, I hope we don't rule that out because that is, that should never be something that Star Wars strays away from because that's always been a part of its DNA and is just also like the course of time. Like you can't, 
stop someone from, you know, dying right. as Anakin famously <laughs> learns. Um, but I just hope that that's not the direction we move that like they perfected this technology with Luke and um, it looks great and everything like that. And so ergo, they're never going to do recasting because I, I think that that's where I kind of think my ethics thirst or my own morals as I'm starting to figure this whole thing out kind of come in of having like an, an episode like this with Luke, you know, for 20 minutes as a CGI character, more or less. Okay. All right. I, th- let's do that. But like if Luke were to have like his own series at some point in the future in this time period or something like that, I don't know if I would want it to be all of this version of Luke. Oh, that's you know? interesting. See, that's interesting. I'm like, I watch this and I'm like, oh, I could watch a whole series of this, even though it's a little, I don't know. The whole, I the concept of deep fakes is, is just a lot. Like it's a very loaded subject, obviously. And yeah. I, um, it's funny because I don't really think I'm thinking about it too much once I settle into this specific episode. Anyway. I don't know. You literally, the only thing you've been texting me repeatedly today is about how you're thinking about how good Luke looks as like the technology for him. It's more like he looks so good. I can't believe what I'm watching. It's working for yeah, but you're me. Still think- you're still thinking about it though. Yeah. Yeah. It's I wonder t- if the it's full. Taking like you a- out even if that's not bad, you know, like it's a positive thought, but you're still yeah. actively thinking about the technology. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. I mean, who knows? But yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's interesting. They've obviously stepped up their game. What does that mean next? I don't know. Uh, but it worked in this episode, I think. And yes. Okay. So why don't we go through the episode sort of chronologically? Because like most Book of Boba Fett episodes, if I'm going to be honest, they're kind of chunky. Like it feels like we yeah. start in a section and then we move on to the next section and then we move on to the next section. I feel like this entire series has been like with the flashbacks, it's been half flashback, half not. The city section, the palace section, it's very cl- like clunky is a bad word because I feel like that is has a real negative connotation that I'm not intending, but I do feel like there is a sense of when we talk about these things, we got to talk about them in chunks. You know? It's very segmented. Yeah, it's very yeah. clear. Like the fact that having Cobb bookend this year, this episode at the beginning and end, like well, he kind of doesn't either. It's much. like it's Cobb, yeah. it's Din, it's Grogu, it's Luke, and then at the very end, it's it's Luke and Grogu again. But in yeah. in my brain, I was like, oh, it's Cobb bookending, it's and then Cobb, I was like, yeah. oh, it's not actually it's because not there's actually, this like yeah. epilogue that we'll get to, and I'm very excited <laughs> to talk about. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's interesting. Um, anyway, okay, so let's start right in the beginning where the episode starts with Cobb Vanth. We finally see him again. Can't believe it. I actually just want to remind myself, actually, of my feelings of like, wow, I really like Timothy Oliphant. And I really like this character of Cobb Vanth, which I never expected to like. And for me, this it felt really natural for him to be in the series. I'm actually surprised it took this long for him to be in the series because, <laughs> but Moss Pelgo or now Freetown, I guess, must be pretty far away from the other cities because it feels so separate. Like the territories are quite large, I guess. But regardless, this felt really natural to me and just the whole Western vibe of it all with. Cobb confronting the Pikes, which are who are the clear villains. I'm still like, there's something else there, in my opinion. I don't know what it is, but I'm still sort of like, yeah, but so what? The Pikes are here, but what else? What is the 
what's the next step. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I think the Pikes are a good villain, but I'm still waiting for like Kira. I am waiting for Kira. (laughs) I'm going to be honest, but I'm waiting for who's at the head of all this. Why is this happening? I need, I need answers. Okay. I hopefully will get some answers next episode, but I understand why Cobb would be annoyed at this. And uh, yeah, I, I liked this scene. I thought it was shot really well, to be honest. And this whole thing of we're in two episodes of gathering allies basically with Fennec trying to pay people (laughs) to join the palace and everything that it makes sense that this would be a natural ally. Of course, there's a sense of like sacrifice that goes into it. It's it's very Western. So we'll see. what do you think about this part? I like seeing Cobb Vanth. Um, He's never been like my favorite character in the Mandalorian. I like him. I could leave him. I'm happy he's here. Happy he's here for the ride. Um, I did like his dialogue a lot with Din later on in the episode where Din's like, can mm-hmm. I buy you a drink? <laughs> and when Din asked him what it's like now without his armor. And Cobb is like, well, I'm a lot more careful now. That's for sure. <laughs> he did look very exposed. I was like, that's one, one layer of fabric. And you used to have Boba Fett's literal armor all the time. <laughs> Uh, I did think that was really funny. Uh, and Din's delivery of, can I buy you a drink? It just sounded a little flirty to me. Not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The thing is, is that I, since we're here, let's just talk about it. I really like that they included the whole fact that Mos Pelgo now is called Freetown and they renamed themselves. I like this concept yeah. of like a tight knit community fighting for their town which we all saw, on the same page. Exactly, that we saw in The Mandalorian. Obviously, something needs to happen in order for them to get on the same page as Boba Fett and his allies, and we see that happen later. But I like that renaming. I think the Freetown is great, and apparently this is in the Aftermath trilogy, which, ding, 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 I don't know if you remember, but Kayla and I have not read those. So <laughs> I was like, I don't remember anything from it. We haven't read exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just going to mention once again that we haven't read that. <laughs> So you're like, ding, ding, ding. I was like, wait a second. The ding, ding, ding is the opposite of a ding, ding, ding. <laughs> anyway, it's from Aftermath. And I like this connective tissue. First off, Cobb being in Aftermath and having the um, the armor there and then the renaming of the town. I like that. I'm surprised with myself about how much, and I'm a broken record in this, but how much I like exploring these different parts of Tatooine. And they're very different. I like the way that this town refers to the rest as city folk and I would never describe Tatooine as city folk but this town I mean yeah and I like this like subculture this understanding of all these different towns and the fact that this specific town would even get away from that like moss um, blank sort of naming and name themselves something different they really set themselves apart which is which means like when they join Boba's own fight against the pikes it should be all the more meaningful because of that yeah, I did think it was kind of funny that Cobb does not use the term Freetown when he's talking to the Pikes in the beginning. He uses like the original name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then when they're in their bar and he's like, yeah, we're not, you know, we're not going to join the fight. And the bartender was the one that's like, we're Freetown now. <laughs> we're Freetown. <laughs> Don't forget, we're Freetown now. <laughs> like, it, it lends me the assumption that Cobb Vanth voted for a different name at like the town hall meeting. <laughs> He's just been like slow to actually call it Freetown. I kind of like that though, because that means the entire town like band together to be like, no, democracy. Like we 
we get to choose what we want to be called. <laughs> like out of everything we could have chosen. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny. And I'm sure this exists somewhere, but I don't know why these towns on Tatooine are called Moss Blank. And my first initial assumption is that it is Hutties. And I like the concept of changing things away from Hutties, which is like the language of the huts, right? So like their oppressive yes. ruler. We just want to define that, right? Like <laughs> their <laughs> oppressive ruler, like changing the name away from that. I think it's Hutties, you know, from you the know, huts. The huts. <laughs> okay. So then we have the logo and we are we jump right into the Naboo and one starfighter, which he is now flying it like a starfighter, like Pelly like said. Pro. Like a pro. Like it. It is a dream. And Dave really was like, no music, just Starfighter. Just in, the, Starfighter. <laughs> in the beginning, and my Attack of the Clones heart, prequel heart, was very happy because it was just mm -hmm. very reflective of that. And I think Caitlin has spent a lot of time on this podcast talking, especially during the show about Attack of the Clones, but <laughs> I felt very much like, wow, we're really deeply in the prequels kind of vibe right now, which is also very yeah. Dave So the like OG defender of the prequels, I guess. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, yeah, Let, it was great. Let us forget that Dave Filoni showed up to the Revenge of the Sith premiere in a full Plo cosplay of Ploku. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Handing out action figures to the children in line, like Ploku and Santa Claus, like Plo Claus, Ploku yeah. and Claus. Plo Claus. <laughs> <laughs> this, I think, I loved this whole sequence of Din landing on do we have a name for this planet uh no name where the jedi temple is the future jedi temple it just it almost took me a second to realize like oh 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 this is where it all goes but i think that's the point i think that's the point yeah. it looks different than how we see it in luke and, in the vision yeah exactly and the comics in the comics too yeah so uh, it was kind of cool to kind of have that realization while you were watching it and that that's what they're building. And and anyway, seeing R2 was so lovely. I just I love R2. And the whole, just the whole thing was so comedic of him following R2 and being like, yeah, the kid, Grogu, Skywalker. I love how <laughs> Skywalker, by the way. He says it so funny. He's always like, right? Skywalker. Like, it's two words. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the best line in the whole episode of, is that a bench? <laughs> the fact that the androids make a bench for him to sit down and wait, and then he takes a, a dad nap. It's amazing. I have not stop laughing about, is that a bench? Since 7.30 this morning <laughs> when R2 just powers down he's like what the heck is happening and then he looks over and the droids are just building him a bench to sit on he's like wait how long am I going to be here <laughs> it, was, it was so funny it was amazing I think that whole sequence was really Miyazaki to me which I think is a constant inspiration for Dave and it was interesting. I liked the androids, this concept of there was a little bit of a fake out right when you saw the rock going towards the temple and it was rising yeah. over the hill and you were like, oh, floating rocks. Luke is making his Jedi temple and he's floating rocks. Oh my gosh. Ha ha. Isn't that funny? Like the last Jedi. And yeah. no, it was androids who are working extremely hard to build the temple that is destroyed later. And <laughs> some funny lines that come up like that are quite ironic of... Is anyone alive? Is anyone? <laughs> <laughs> Just 
Massachusetts. You know, you got mad at me for referencing Han Solo's death last episode, and you're out here referencing the entire temple burning to the ground. Like, wasn't that funny? <laughs> too soon, Charlotte. Too soon. It is too soon, but, you know, the whole concept of <laughs> Din just, like, being like, where am I? What's going on? <laughs> being, like, <laughs> cranky. It's so good. And I just, I really liked the concept. I think there's a conversation to be had here about deforestation and the removal of trees because this looks different (laughs) than what we see a lot of things have been removed in order to make room for luke's like sprawling jedi temple that comes into be i think we can say in about five years when because at this point ben solo would be like four or five and i think that he didn't go until he was like 10 or 11 so I think that this doesn't come to fruition fully for a couple more years. And it is, you know, canon that Ben is Luke's first student. So you can make of that what you will. I don't know if that's a technicality. They'll maybe break that. I don't think they will. That kind of goes, um, that aligns to like what we think is going to happen in the next episode or in Mandalorian. I I don't know. I think anyway, I just think it was good. I really liked this visual and um, I like the, I think that also as an audience member, the concept of arriving to a place that seems familiar, but not familiar. And then having to wait for that familiarity is kind of funny because you, uh, you're, you get in the same shoes as the character who is also a little disgruntled about this long journey who has to take a nap <laughs> on the bench and you're like, where am Sweet. I? What is this? What's this point? What's the point of this? And I was sort of thinking as an audience member, like, okay, so I think we thought we were going to see Grogu or we thought we were going to see Grogu and Luke, but maybe we're not. And this whole thing is a bust, which would be sort of in line with the Mandalorian, <laughs> I guess, of this concept of going on these quests and then getting derailed and having to do something else. So my expectations <laughs> were like, What's going to happen here? I don't know. (laughs) I think this whole uh, chunk, this whole section of this episode, you know, on the planet with Luke and Grogu especially, there is, for as heavy as some of these topics are, and as much as I cried, (laughs) quite literally watching Din uh, long for Grogu, there is such a playfulness to this episode, which I think you know, you kind of hinted at with like the Miyazaki um, influence, like when they're building the temple. Um, But then everything with Luke and Grogu, even though it does get into some heavy topics, you know, about, you know, what is Grogu's destiny, you know, heavy things like that. uh, There is this lightness overall to the episode, uh, you know, with the frogs and with the rocks and with Grogu breaking uh, the training orbs because he's tired of it. And just like smashing it. I don't know. There's something really light and fun about that. Um, And even just like seeing Luke and Grogu kind of go through the forest together and Luke using the force to pick up Grogu so they can like walk together. That was the best thing of my entire life. I I didn't even realize it was happening until like the third time it happened. I was like, wait wait a second. (laughs) What? It's just, I don't know. There's this lightness in that that I really like. And um, I'm glad. And I think that's something that is just so unique to Grogu as a character and like 
what he represents in this series as this small, adorable child. Like there's really just no getting past it mm-hmm. that everything he's do- he does is just going to be that much cuter because of who he is and, and the situations that he finds himself in are that much cuter and have this comedy to them that is just innate to, you know, something so cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just want to take a second to say that it's been a year since we've seen Grogu. And I know. And there's something that happened in this episode where I had realized that something that I wasn't prepared for, this is going to sound so stupid, I know, was like to see Grogu like mature and change. And I, I was like, okay, this is good because Luke is teaching him how to be more agile and like mobile and do the things that we know Master Yoda to do, right? Like flip all around and dodge, you know, blasters and things like that. And to see that in live action finally come to fruition, I was like so weirdly proud that we like got to this point. And I think it goes towards the end where I'm like, okay, so now he, I, we have seen the fact that he's able to do that when in the beginning of the episode he was slowly walking and Luke was using a lot of momentum to move him along, you know, and it was, I mean, it was a worry for the Mandalorian back when they were, you know, getting themselves into trouble and running around and everything. It was like the Mandalorian defending Grogu and it'll be interesting going forward now that Grogu has had not a lot of training, but some training, right? Like we've seen, we saw an evolution in this episode, um, what that means if they're together again, which I think they will be. They're not on equal footing, obviously, but the fact that Grogu was able to tap into whatever he learned before or something that he, you know, is inside of him that Luke could help him find or something, and he's able to, like, dodge those bullets, it'll be cool to see them in action. I hope that we get that. It would be awesome. I think I'm so used to, like, two and a half seasons now of seeing Grogu as, like, this baby to be cared for. And then now I'm like, oh, my gosh, you can, like, flip around and everything. This is so crazy. You're growing up. (laughs) Yeah. It's just – I mean, he's at summer camp, basically. (laughs) He's learning so much (laughs) and, like, evolving. And it's crazy to see that. I don't know. It's cool. He's our baby growing up. I know. (laughs) So precious. (laughs) It is, is like – I think you forget just the power of baby Yoda on screen and all those little moments of his ears and like his head tilts and like his eyes and just how he like scrunches his face up. And you really forget just how affecting that is, I think. And boy, was my heart aching. (laughs) All right. This is the chunk of the episode where there's so much to talk about and I want to try to do it somewhat coherently for us <laughs> as we go through this because I know my thoughts about everything that happens, like Luke and Grogu's conversation, Luke and Ahsoka's conversation, Ahsoka and Din's conversations, they're all a jumble in my brain of holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think I feel like since we've been talking about Grogu, maybe we should talk about this like memory that Luke gives him and I think uh we'll be talking about more of these quotes later on but uh we went back to the Jedi episode with Ahsoka and like some of the things that she was talking about and her viewpoints of the Jedi and personal choice and everything that we'll talk about when we talk about with her but she does 
when she first connects with Grogu and communicates with him to learn his name, she also tells us a little bit about his past. And this is what she said back in the episode 13 of the Jedi, chapter 13 of chapter 13 of the Jedi, chapter 13 of the Mandalorian, uh, about Grogu's past that she tells Din. She says, he was raised at the Jedi Temple in Coruscant. Many masters trained him over the years. At the end of the Clone Wars, when the Empire rose to power, he was hidden. Someone took him from the temple. Then his memory becomes dark. He seemed lost, alone. Can he still wield the Force? The Force is what gives him his powers. It is an energy field created by all living things. To wield, it takes a great deal of training and discipline. The Jedi Order fell a long time ago. And then Din responds and says, so did the Empire, yet it still hunts him. Which I think is so interesting because here, you know, Ahsoka says the Jedi Order fell a long time ago. And where is Grogu now? He's at the the foundational, he's at the cornerstone of the new Jedi Order. Uh, what we think is, what Luke believes is going to be the new Jedi Order, right? Of course, mm-hmm. we know that things do not go that way, but that's what Luke, that's what Luke is hoping for, mm-hmm. right? And we'll talk about Luke too, but Luke giving, helping Grogu to retrieve these memories about his past, I think is really important and good for us to see and understand the trauma that Grogu has been through and and why he kind of shut off those memories, compartmentalized them away and basically hid himself in the force, like let his powers fade or didn't tap into them because it was a survival tactic. And I don't know, it just reminds me that Grogu has been alive for so long and alone for so long too. And I don't think we think about Grogu's that reality for Grogu that often. At least I know I don't. Like it's totally. easy for me to forget that he's, you know, since Revenge of the Sith, he's been alone. And all of the people that he did know, you know, if he was trained by many masters, there's so many people at the Jedi Temple that he knew and he probably knows that they're all gone, you know? It's just, mm-hmm. you know, and Luke reminds us of that too in this episode yeah. about his age and how a blip in a time will is just like a, a short amount of time. It's a for, lifetime. Yeah, is a whole lifetime for someone else. And that in itself is traumatic. And I think this episode really touched on that and sort of brought that to the forefront. I'm I'm a huge proponent in thinking about Grogu as being on a character arc. I don't know if you remember me saying this in season yeah. two of The Mandalorian. I was like, we need to track this because I think it's easy for us to be like Grogu, Baby Yoda, the cutie. Like it's almost kid. like a pet, you know, yeah, which and it's, he's feels not. wrong to say, but but I feel like that's how, as an audience, we view him sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. But this is what you're, you've been talking about. Like, now he's more independent. He can do stuff on his own. He's not a baby He that needs to be cared for. Absolutely. And I think that while, yes, he's still a child and a child to be cared for, that doesn't go away even when you're in your yeah. 50s, like, say, <laughs> say Grogu is. Yeah. That doesn't go away there's still a sense of that strong father-son bond that I think we have grown so accustomed to with Din and Grogu. But there's still a sense of, okay, so we need to trace Grogu's own character journey. And I think this episode actually highlights a lot about how it's important for Grogu to continue to make his own choices. And I think we'll talk about that soon. But you're so right in the fact that it's interesting that we saw this piece of trauma from him and this understanding of Order 66, I have to wonder about like how much Luke actually knows about this. I think that he knows a considerable amount. It seems like there's a sense of history between him and Ahsoka too later when they chat about the fact that Ahsoka was Anakin's Padawan. Maybe Luke knows that. Maybe do- he doesn't. I think he would. But regardless, I think that he would think that 
there is a sense of history there and then a history to be learned. And that history is what's happening here when in Luke's own Jedi temple, right? He's potentially, this is sort of what I got from this, is that I would assume what Luke is doing with this Jedi temple is trying to mimic what he thinks is what he's supposed to be doing, which is bringing back that prequel temple that we understand, those tenets of Jediism that we have grown to fully, you know, be comfortable with the concept of Master Padawan, the the trials, the lightsaber training, all of the whole rigmarole that we are very aware of. And I think what is hard for us in this time period, since Star Wars just continuously <laughs> jumps all around, it is confusing and sometimes I think tough for an audience member to like fully grasp like what's what is a good point in Luke's life and what is a really bad point in Luke's life I think with I mean it's not that hard to grasp like I think we all understand that the last Jedi is a real bad time for Luke (laughs) I mean if we're gonna categorize yeah but I think it's still a question of how did he get there and I think that as much as um we can talk about Luke creating the Jedi temple. The major tragedy of it all is that it brings him to the point where he almost kills his nephew. And the questions of how does he get from the end of return of the Jedi to the last Jedi with all of those that passed behind him is something that is, you know, so thoughtfully explored in The Last Jedi, but now we're living in this time where Luke is making mistakes, he's trying new things, he's figuring things out, and Grogu is now, like, a part of this, right? And it's interesting as an audience member because we have, you and I have an affinity for Luke Skywalker and know him and his amazing choices that he has made in the original trilogy and also eventually what he does in the sequel trilogy. Luke is a hero, we know that. But Luke is also going to fail, and that's a huge part of his arc. But how are like the steps in which he gets to that point are long and winding, and we're exploring those, and I know it's been mapped out. I don't envy these writers who have to figure out how to wrestle with the fact that we have characters who are set up as heroes Uh and needing to get it across in a short form way that maybe the choices that they're making are not the best ones. I think that sometimes, like, obviously that makes a good story, but I think it's also hard to wrestle with that as these characters are sometimes larger than life and larger than the characters themselves. So when we're brought back into this small scale like visuals of, okay, so what's Luke actually doing here? He's starting a temple, but does he actually know what's going on? No, he has one teacher. He had one teacher, right? He had he had Yoda. I mean, he kind of had Obi-Wan Kenobi, but really, right? Like, <laughs> not as much as... <laughs> you peaced out pretty quickly. Yeah, as Yoda. And in this episode, we see Luke <laughs> trying to embody Yoda and everything he experienced on Dagobah to a T because that's his experience. And it's not saying, obviously, that his experience on Dagobah was bad or good. I think that we we view, you and I view Yoda as also a character who is imperfect and made a lot of mistakes and is a strange creature. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, I don't know. I think that it's just interesting how Luke is following that playbook. And that probably shouldn't 
be what he's following because that's not him. He chose to defy Obi-Wan and Yoda at the very end of Return of the Jedi and not kill his father, but sacrifice himself for his father. He threw away his weapon. And at this point, it's like, okay, so now you're ex- experiencing the world and trying to figure out what's next. You're following Yoda's rules or Yoda's guidelines about passing on what you have learned, but he's going by the book and it's not going to end well. <laughs> I think what is kind of a weird pivot now is that Luke, in a lot of ways, has become Anakin. Um, like, we mm. know that Luke's fall is coming. He, ha- like, even though he's the hero right now, right? He just he just saved the galaxy. He's the hero with no fear now, like Anakin was. But we knew, watching the prequels, that Anakin was going to fall. And now we're watching all of this knowing that Luke is going to betray the people that mean the most to him in the future. And it's weird because Luke has never been in this position before (laughs) Um, until now. (laughs) Um, And we've never like seen him. Like we know obviously like through what from 2015 on, or I guess I should say 2017 on really uh, that Luke did something, you know, attempted to thought about killing Ben right at this temple but we've never actually come back really to Luke in this time period specifically since learning all of that about Luke. Um, not in this way and not so like literally at the the, the room where it happens. <laughs> like how we view Anakin in a lot of ways is how we should be viewing Luke now too. Of all of these good things about Anakin, these traits that we admire in him, the way that we talk about Ahsoka, you know, throughout the Clone Wars, taking in all the best parts of Anakin and everything that he meant to the people that loved him, all of those are still true, but he still fell, you know, and everything that Luke is going to go through, the mistakes that he's going to make with Grogu, the good choices that he's going to make with Grogu or whatever else is coming along in the future. Those are all just still a part of his story, but he's like, he's still going to have his own tragedy, his own fall from grace that is going, like Anakin, have ramifications on the galaxy at large. And I mean, I hate to be that person, but it's poetry. It rhymes. It does. Um, It does. But I I think it's, it's kind of like when you were talking, it's really what made me think about it. Like, oh my God, we're just, we're just coming into the prequels like we did with Anakin. Like it's it's kind of the same setup and kind of recalibrating your mind, especially for a character like Luke. Like Anakin is different because we've known for forever that he was Vader. Like it has a very different of course, like George subverted a lot of that by introducing Anakin as a nine-year-old boy. But I think the audience is always cognizant that Anakin, like going to the prequels, was going to be Vader. You know what I mean? Whereas Luke he's been the one that saved Vader. And then, you know, we've had the the cycle kind of repeat itself again in the sequel trilogy. And now we're coming back to Luke in his hero phase, just like we came back to Anakin in his hero phase. And I don't know, it's just, it's really fascinating to think about because, I don't know, I think, honestly, I think it's hard because Watching Anakin in the prequels, I know that redemption is coming. I know that Luke is going to rewrite the book. But when I'm watching Luke now, you know, I still feel that, like, I don't have that payoff from the end of the sequel trilogy. And so I think it's hard to watch, to, like, figure out how I feel about it. Because I think I know what the writers are trying to say. I think I know what this big picture is and what what I'm hoping is going to be Grogu's story and that Luke is kind of... 
adjacent to it right now in kind of a big way. But I don't know. It's kind of hard thinking about Luke's role in the Jedi Order and the, the Jedi Order as a whole and the definition of a Jedi, knowing that it kind of hasn't been concluded yet in the way that I thought it would be. And not so much that it had to be like the way that I thought the definition of the Jedi Order would be concluded, you know. But I just mean I don't feel like the end of the sequel trilogy really talked about that definition at all in any kind of substantial way, whether it was what I wanted or not. I don't think it really addressed it, period. Duel of the Fates did. (laughs) Yeah, right? Uh, (laughs) Like, I would have something to pinpoint. You know, if we're talking about marketing, right, like with how all of these shows should or shouldn't have been marketed, you know, the Book of Boba Fett, should it have been marketed as the Book of Boba Fett, seeing what we see now? Maybe not, honestly. You know what I mean? And it's like, marketing the rise of Skywalker as the end of the saga, the Skywalker story, anticipating a thing like a new definition of the Jedi order seemed what they were marketing towards. Right. But maybe, and maybe they have plans past this, you know, like five years from now when we revisit this episode, because it's definitely going to be an episode we revisit what will our conversation be like? Maybe there'll be a new, maybe, maybe something has finally come of a new definition of Jedi from Rey herself. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm kind of rambling here. I'm not really sure. Um, I like had a lot of my thoughts thought out about Luke, uh, before this, but then this whole like Anakin Luke thing came to me while you were talking. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> well, it's also uh, interesting because Ahsoka is now involved in this episode. That was a major yeah. surprise to you and I. And I think that there's a, obviously a clear link between Ahsoka and Anakin and now Ahsoka and Luke, which is a lot to take in. And if you think about if, if you, if, as you pause it, the concept of Luke now in his like prequel era, right. This, this rewiring her mind to, to lead him to where we see him try to kill Ben Solo. It's how, how do we get to that point? And it's weird that Ahsoka is in both of these, you know, and I, I don't know how to wrestle with that. I really don't, but this, there's just a lot to unpack. And like, I, I'm with you. This, this episode to me feels very similarly to how you and I felt about, um, the Siege of Mandalore episodes. And when we'd get on the mic, we'd be like, just unloading about all these different thoughts that we have. <laughs> and it feels like that with this one, just because I feel like we have a lot to say about Luke and just, it's just wow <laughs> to me. I did want to kind of bring it back to Grogu and Din specifically, because for as much, right, as we've been talking this episode about how Luke is, is especially my OG, literally my OG, <laughs> but watching him in A New Hope, I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> I get why people stand uh, Star Wars and I too shall stand. (laughs) Um, Din and Grogu were the heart of this episode in such a huge way. And I want to go back because I to Din and Ahsoka's conversation uh, when Din gives Ahsoka the 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 Grogu shaped present, (laughs) because I think this conversation is so important when we start talking about the end of the episode with Grogu and Luke and our lone wolf and cub discussion that we're going to get into as well. Um, But I think this conversation was so, this is some of the best vocal performance from Pedro. I think we've had ever (laughs) in the Mandalorian. I just, you guys know, I think one of the things that if you've tracked all of our episodes about Din that I've been pretty critical of or just wanting more of is 
Din's um, like him talking about his relationship with Grogu and like his emotional response to Grogu and everything like that and what it means to be Mandalorian and, and all of that. And I really think this episode and last week's episode, we've really gotten that. And the emotion from Din talking to Ahsoka, like basically begging if he can just go and say hi to Grogu like in person and see if he's like make sure he's okay with his own two eyes I'm like my I'm welling up right now just thinking about it like (laughs) this this whole scene just got me in such like a a, like a deep place like I, I don't know how to describe it so Din saying that he came to bring Grogu this present this Mandalorian armor basically and that it's you know Grogu is a Mandalorian foundling like it's his birthright to have this um and Ahsoka responds you know basically saying well he's not a foundling anymore he's a Padawan and there's this scene is shot so beautifully because the focus keeps moving from Ahsoka to Din like whoever is speaking but the camera doesn't really move a whole lot and the focus after Ahsoka says that you know Din or Grogu is a Padawan now the focus you know comes back to Din kind of immediately and you see him like almost turn back ever so slightly to Ahsoka and he has this like hesitation and you can tell that that like really affects him to hear Ahsoka say or to hear Ahsoka imply I should say that he's that Grogu is not a foundling and you know it reminds us again of that conversation between the armorer and Din from last week of about the difference between the Jedi and the Mandalorians and the armorer tells him you know the Jedi are supposed to have no attachments, none of that. And Din responds to her, you know, but that's loyalty and um, like fealty is everything. Solidarity. To a Mandalorian. Solidarity, yeah. thank you, is everything to to Mandalore, to a Mandalorian. And like these things are in perfect contrast to each other. And then again, he's faced with it again with Ahsoka, but Ahsoka is telling it from the other side. Like he's literally caught in the middle between these two extremes. And all he wants to do is go give this Grogu-shaped present to his his Grogu baby. And he can't do it. And there's just something about that that is so heartbreaking. And the way that Pedro delivers the line after that of, well, either way, I still want him to have this. It's just, oh, oh my, I just, I can't get over it. It just, it, I think it's so good. And, um, him telling Ahsoka, like, I've come so far. I just, he's right there. There's such longing in how Din says that and how Pedro delivers the lines. Like, this is all the emotion that I've been wanting (laughs) from Pedro, from Din. And I, I, certainly don't want to say that we haven't seen that in the past two seasons because we absolutely have especially in the believer where Pedro didn't even really have any lines when it's all the face acting right when he takes off the mask in order to save in order to get the information to save Grogu like all, all of that I think is a part of this but to actually hear that longing in his voice of being so close and yet so far and really doing that like in a lot of ways that Shmi thing of of sacrifice um, to say, all right, I, I, I'll do what you say, Ahsoka. Like, you think it's gonna, it's not the right choice for me to go see him. And as much as that breaks my heart, I'm just, I'm gonna leave this present with you, this like, this thing from me to him, and I'm gonna go. Um, I think it. I like. I honestly don't even know how to talk about it. I like get <laughs> very emotional about it. <laughs> and I, I think it's. Din is caught in the middle and so is Grogu 
And what we keep harping on throughout all of these shows when it comes to Jin and Grogu is wanting to see them forge this new path together of not being beholden to these uh, organizations that they are kind of put into. And it's a little different for Grogu because, of course, Grogu made the choice to go with Luke. Ahsoka didn't make that choice for him. Din didn't make that choice for him. Din, in some ways, didn't want him to go with Luke. You know, in a lot of ways, it was a kind of similar scene. Grogu got on his own two feet and made that choice to go to Luke. So I think I think it's a little bit different. But, like, Din was made to be a Mandalorian when he was you know, taken in as a foundling. And there are a lot, there's a lot to unpack with what exactly that meant <laughs> for him. But I just think them forging this new path together is so important. And I think that's what this bigger picture is setting up. Um, and I, I can't wait for three or four years from now when we have, you and I talked about the Mandalorian in the book of Boba Fett as a box set. And like, what is this box set going to be called <laughs> in a couple of years? And how will all of these pieces be interconnected throughout this box set when we've come to the end? And I think we'll really have a better picture. But I think I think we're moving towards Grogu and Din being together. Like, I, I really do. And I was telling you this earlier um, when I was thinking about the episode, when I was crying via Snapchat to you via this episode. You know, we get to the Lone Wolf and Cub uh shout out at the end of the episode of choose between the ball and the sword and Grogu will I'll let Charlotte kind of go over that scene in a second but of Grogu choosing between the lightsaber and the chainmail and I think it's so interesting that I think Grogu is going to pick the chainmail but that Grogu a Jedi a force user is picking this thing that is so reminiscent of Mandalore of being a foundling of Din and now Din has come to acquire this thing the darksaber that is you know, very much tied to the Jedi. It's a, another form of a lightsaber, you know? So they each have these like representational items of each other's like organizations, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, and I think that they're, to me, that's balance. And I think that, I don't know, it just makes so much sense for them to be together and to kind of forge this new path. And that's what we were talking about last week with, you know, Grogu, perhaps realizes that for him it's it's not worth it it's not what he wants he's gonna now that he's been with Luke he's gonna make the choice to go and be with with Din with his dad and that he can still be this force user and I hope that that's the realization we get to at the end of this is that Grogu can still be a force user he can still have that part of his identity and still be with Din. You can have it all. And I think, I kind of think like Din having a lightsaber and Grogu having Beskar armor, to me, that kind of says we're having it all, <laughs> you know? And I just, I love the idea that in the future, Grogu and Din could go on this journey to get Grogu's kyber crystal together. And it doesn't have to be this thing that only belongs to the Jedi. And, you know, in our conversation about Luke as well and and who he becomes down the line, you know, when everything happens with Ben and Luke is on Octo and he's, you know, coming to terms, grieving everything that happened. I have to wonder, does he, will he, event, will he think about Grogu and reflect on his almost first student who made the choice to leave? And, oh, maybe, maybe that was what should have happened all along. And I don't know. I just, I think it was a really beautiful scene and w one of the best, I think, that we've seen, uh, honestly, ever. <laughs> and, uh, and especially in The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, I just, 
it really affected me. And I think that having it bookended with Din making the choice to leave because he thinks it's what best, it's what's best. And that inherently shows his deep love for Grogu. And now Grogu being faced with another choice. And, you know, I'm thinking he's going to choose the chainmail so that they can come back together. It just, it works for me, works for me so well. And I know, I feel like I haven't really explained all of my thoughts about this extremely well, but it's definitely going to be something that we're coming back to. So (laughs) I'll have another go at it. Yeah. I think that something you touched on also, I want to mention that when Grogu sees the ship fly, hold on, I want to start over. Absolutely. And I want to mention that when Grogu watches the ship the N1 starfighter fly away and he reaches out with one hand, there's this moment of longing that Din had just felt a scene before. So it really goes both ways. When you talk about balance, I also think that entire idea was explored in this episode. There's a whole scene devoted to understanding balance when Grogu is on Luke's back and they're exploring the forest together. It was a real Last Jedi moment to me. I think that Dave in his directing actually evoked that a lot with shots of nature, of like light picking through, peeking through that felt really reminiscent of the concept of balance that was explored with Rey and Luke in The Last Jedi. Um, And I don't know. I think that something I am still reflecting on with this episode is this whole concept of choice. I think so much in Star Wars when we talk about choice, it really, in like staying on your path, changing your path, I am very loud in the way that I talk about how you could always change your path and that your choice is always available. You don't have to stay light forever. You don't have to stay dark forever. Um, And you can always turn back. And I really feel like that is a core message of Star Wars. And I think it's reflected in all these different ways. I think I just used a really extreme example of light and dark, but maybe a less extreme or a different type of example would be when Ahsoka left the Jedi Order. That was her choice to leave. She wasn't really outcast from, like she was, okay? She was outcast from the Jedi Order, but they welcomed her back and she chose to leave. And it is one of the most effective, brilliant scenes in all of Star Wars. But I think that defining choice is why Ahsoka in this episode is very much pushing, no, Grogu needs to choose. Like he needed to choose when in the in chapter 13 of the Jedi. He needed to choose at the seeing stone. He needed to see if that was the place for him. He needed to have that decision about going with Luke or staying with Din at the end of season two. And here we see again, this influence of there needs to be a choice here. Luke also had a choice to, you know, (laughs) join Palpatine um, and take down it all, whatever, right at the end of Return of the Jedi. And he chose to throw all of that, that whole thing. (laughs) What he chose is to throw away his weapon and he didn't choose the sword. So that brings me to the fact that here we have Luke making, I wouldn't say it's hard because it's hard to wrestle with this because I'm talking about how choice and providing choice is a good thing. But what Luke does in this episode feels a little dogmatic. This concept of you can either choose to be a Jedi or you can choose to be a Mandalorian. When we're pretty aware that there have been Mandalorian Jedi before. In fact, so aware that Din actually has the Darksaber. So this concept of one or the other is really difficult. I'm with you, Caitlin, when I, when I also feel like he's probably going to choose the chainmail. But what about that third option? Here I am again with a third option <laughs> that isn't even presented. But the concept of 
what is what else is there I think is more intriguing to that I think I've been thinking a lot lately about what is Din going to do with the Darksaber I think that it's pretty clear to me that he's going to do something to unite Mandalore to heal the past that trauma that is there but what about the Darksaber I mean that blade is riddled with history and history that I don't even know if Din actually wants to be a part of I wouldn't be surprised if he destroyed it it has transferred into so many different wars and the downfall of Mandalore has been caused due to this weapon. And I think that honestly the same could possibly be said about the Jedi, right? So we have Grogu making a decision about the Jedi, even Yoda's own blade, right? Which is also loaded with history and also this brand new chainmail. I think it's pretty clear that like Caitlin and I want him to choose the chainmail. I think that's right for the story. But I still think that this choice is loaded. It is a lot. And I think that if he really does choose the Jedi or something, I don't know. I just think there's more there. I really do. I think that there's something There's something else because my perfect world would be that Grogu chooses the chainmail, lives his life with Din, and then returns to be a Jedi in the future. I think Caitlin made reference in the beginning to how it's hard to wrestle with the concept of the Jedi, given the fact that we didn't get a renewal or a re sort of re-understanding definition. of, yeah, a, a new definition about what the Jedi are in the future with the sequel trilogy and the rise of Skywalker. And some of that I think is a little personal. I think it's true that it hasn't, it's not very defined, but I think the gist of the rise of Skywalker is that like I walk away from the rise of Skywalker being like, of course, Ray's the hero. I'm not going to challenge that at all. And that Ray probably is going to, is like more than worthy to start a Jedi temple that is probably filled with mistakes, but mistakes that she can work out. Like I I have faith in her to do that, you know, just based off of yeah. everything that I see in her character and who she is, this understanding of light and dark, this balance, the dyad, the whole thing. Like I trust her, right? And I think you do too. But yeah. I, the execution of The Rise of Skywalker means that wrestling the concept of the Jedi is a struggle. However, yeah. I would say that if if I've got word that Grogu lived his life with Din, Din somehow sacrificed himself or died, and then Grogu <laughs> lives. I know Can it's like it's literally- a long, happy life together? <laughs> yeah, like this, a super, super long, happy life. Okay, whatever. Okay. And then Grogu comes back to Rey's Jedi Temple and- continues out his Jedi training as a young man right like yes <laughs> he'd be young and Din Din is like 30 40 right so I don't know I just I think that that is something that I would actually trust in that I because right now here's what I see I see the prequel Jedi temple to be extremely flawed I see Luke's Jedi temple to be pretty flawed uh, I think it's trying I think Luke is trying way way harder and it's it's smaller too. That's the other thing that's kind of nice about Luke's Jedi Temple is that I think what is what happened with the Jedi in the prequels and to a certain degree the Jedi in the High Republic too is that it it is so large, it is so bureaucratic, it is so filled with levels that some things get lost. The concept is so big that the really just like preserving the light in being a Jedi is lost. And I think that Luke yeah. is trying to get closer to that with the smaller Jedi temple. Obviously, that's how he st- has to start. But there's a sense of intimacy, I think, with his temple that I think is admirable. And 
but I, I think he's trying, but he's not there yet as seen by this episode. Right. And he doesn't get, he doesn't really get there because of the way that things end and what we see in the last Jedi with those flashbacks. But so I see that as flawed as well, but what I wouldn't be surprised if, if Ray's was flawed in a different way, in a way that everyone makes mistakes type of ideas. <laughs> and <laughs> then I think it is better. Like I, I would assume that hers is an improvement because that's the whole concept of the sequel trilogy. If you were to take it at face value. So yeah, that's my long winded way to say, I think that this concept of choice is what's hard to wrestle with is that Luke presents two options when I'm always searching for the third <laughs> with yeah. every conversation when it comes to these choices, because there always is a different option. And Luke is the person that also explained that so well in, in Return of the Jedi when he throws away his saber. It's the choice that no one expected, not even Yoda or Obi-Wan. You know, I think that Luke knew what it was, but it, it is so admirable. And I think that that's the hero moment that we're going towards. I also think that it's good to that now is a good time to mention I think that in the concept of choice the concept of history and history of repeating itself I talked about the temples but I should also talk about the fact that the show the book of Boba Fett and the Mandalorian so in turn the Mandoverse I think is about guardianship parenthood trauma dealing with all of that and I think each is dealing with something um, if we look at Boba and Django, we see in continued mentions of Django leaving Boba, um, the son missing the father. Din and Grogu, we have the father missing the son, and also the son missing the father, to be very clear. And then now we're introduced to a character of Luke, who we haven't seen in a while, and he is the ultimate character in which it all goes back to this, you know, father-son dynamic that is further explored all over Star Wars. It is the defining dynamic. <laughs> so and I think it is so reflective and resonant, like all throughout everything. And I just want to remind people of that, that like, it is all it like Keelan, you kind of made light about the whole it's poetry, it rhymes situation. But this is really it. Like, there's a reason why there's a sense of, oh, these characters and the themes, they go together. It's because it's pretty similar. That said, I still think we need obviously a lot more with Boba Fett exploring that trauma, but I think the pieces are there. It's just we're further in the storyline with Din and Grogu and obviously Luke and Vader since we had a whole trilogy of that concept. And 40 plus years. And for, Yes, exactly. Of that being like the butt of the joke and like just <laughs> absolutely the one of the most iconic I am your father lines in all of cinema the concept of trauma around that is like further explored in like so many different things I don't know there's that is like it really all goes back to that right and Caitlin actually yeah. made me <laughs> rewatch the <laughs> iconic Dave Filoni conversation in the Disney gallery season one where he like knowledge bomb drops the conversation about duel of the fates Caitlin do you want to talk about this because it was a lot. Yeah. So this started me down my cry fest. Um, <laughs> anyway, if you guys watch the the gallery, the season one Mandalorian, the gallery specials, I think it's in episode eight, um, ironically entitled Connection um, or Connect, <laughs> where Dave just kind of goes on this spiel. It's like a solid six, seven minutes. It's it's not like a one minute thing, but he goes on this like six minute spiel basically of 
the entire prequel trilogy and, and also the original trilogy and like how and why they all work together. But he comes to this premise in the beginning of the Duel of the Fates and that the Duel of the Fates is from the Phantom Menace is the fate of Anakin. And the way he phrases it is the, the fate of Anakin's guardianship. And that immediately, when I re-listened to that, I was like, oh, that's that's what he's doing with Grogu right now. This is Dave's episode, and it's about the fate of Grogu's guardianship. Um, but unlike Anakin, who, while had a choice, was still put between a rock and a hard place, honestly. Like, if we're thinking about Anakin's situation on Tatooine as an enslaved person, like, you know, that was very different. Like he needed to get out of that situation. But then, you know, at the same time, Grogu was being hunted by the Empire too. So both are put in um, difficult situations and unimaginable situations as well. But Dave describes the Phantom Menace and the Duel of the Fates as the duel for Anakin's guardianship and overall Anakin's fate. And that losing Qui-Gon, who would be that father figure to Anakin, has a ripple effect on everything. And I think we know this, but I think hearing Dave go through this conversation where he really hammers in, like he spends that whole portion, like two to three minutes of this discussion, talking about the loss of family, the loss of a father for Anakin and how important that was that he had had that father figure. And because he doesn't, you know, he eventually becomes Darth Vader, you know, all the dominoes fall into place exactly how Palpatine planned, but it all comes back to this moment in the Phantom Menace over Anakin's guardianship. And, and like I said, just that, that word of guardianship just felt so in line with everything that we've seen in the Mandalorian and the book of Boba Fett as it relates to Din and Grogu. And I think, you know, if we're predicting what's going to happen next, if we're thinking about what choice is Grogu going to make, Dave spent a lot of time talking about the importance of fatherhood, of family. He says Star Wars is about family. And so it's, I want to see him write the episode of Grogu choosing family and that being meaningful and important and the right choice. You know what I mean? Like we say Star Wars is tragedy because there's all this separation. There's all this angst that happens. And so to have a story that doesn't necessarily end in that kind of separation and angst, I think would be so hopeful and so important. And, and also in that, uh, that speech that Dave gives, he also follows it up at the end with Return of the Jedi and about, you know, the importance of Luke choosing his father over the weapon. <laughs> he says that too. He says, Luke chooses to reject the weapon and save his father. And the choice that Grogu was being presented with is his weapon or his father. And I like, this feels so pointed that, if Grogu makes a different choice, I'm going to feel some sort of way about it. You know what I mean? Um, but I think that that re-listening to that speech from Dave, if you haven't listened to it in a while, it's it's great. It's a beautiful speech. He has the entire roundtable absolutely spellbound <laughs> um, as he's just going through all of this. But he talks about the importance of family and how that is what Star Wars is about at the end of the day. And also that these things should be giving us hope and should be bringing us joy, like the story at the end of the day. And I think that, I think that Dave would want Grogu and Din to be together. You know what I mean? I think that is what family means for this story that Dave and John have created together. And so I think that's where, I think that's where we're headed. Um, 
yeah, yeah. Hearing that speech, you know, talking from the end of season one of The Mandalorian to where we are now in season at the end of season one of the Book of Boba Fett, it they feel there's a lot of synergy between those two, that conversation then and what we're seeing now. And to me, it lines up that Grogu and Din will be together, you know, and certainly maybe Grogu makes the choice for the weapon now and then changes his mind again later on. You know, I don't know. But this seems so pointed that I think I think he's going to choose the chainmail. And while you were talking, Charlotte, I had this thought you were talking about the third choice, right? And how that's so important. And I, I totally agree with you. I think the third choice is important. Um, and like what Din's ultimate character journey is, like where his end of the line, is it about, you know, bringing, like returning to Mandalore and saving Mandalore, something like that. I think what if Din creates this world, strives to create this world on Mandalore, this home where Grogu doesn't need chainmail anymore, doesn't need to be protected because something like the dark saber isn't needed something like that everyday battle isn't needed it's a safe place which is something grogu has never had and in a lot of ways neither has din and just made myself really sad <laughs> um and and even still thinking through grogu's choice and I'm, and I, now i'm on a monologue here but like grogu's choice knowing that he has fully remembered the events of order 66 like, what if Grogu is already on top of all of this? What if Grogu himself doesn't feel like the Jedi or where he was supposed to be, given everything that happened back then and what's happening now? Maybe he's like, you know what? I I went through all that, and now I remember it, and that's not what I want. That's not the life I want. And now I have a choice, and I want a family that's not – that's going to be with me for forever, you know? I don't know. It's true. I also don't think we talked enough about the Lone Wolf and Cub reference. This was so exciting for Caitlin and I. We have been talking about this decision for so long. So long. <laughs> like season one, episode two of, <laughs> of The Mandalorian. We're like, it's going to end in this or it's going to be a big part of it some way, somehow. He's gonna season have to one. Choose, <laughs> he's going to have to choose the Jedi or Mandal. It's going to happen, you know? And yeah. here we are. We made it. My my jaw was on the floor. I cannot believe we ended this already like euphoric episode with this. With and the lone wolf and baby cub. It, it is so amazing. Anyway, the one thing that you brought up today when we were talking on the phone that I thought was interesting was the concept that in Lone Wolf and Cub, which this is like truly identical. Like I can't get over it. Okay. <laughs> identical. So before we get into that, Charlotte, do you mind if I kind of set up Lone Please Wolf and do. Cub? Yes. Okay. Um, I feel like we talked, like Charlotte said, we talked about this a ton uh, in season one of The Mandalorian, but in case you weren't watching season one or don't remember, I'll try to keep it brief <laughs> on Lone Wolf and Cub on my long form podcast. I'll try to keep it brief. Um, Lone Wolf and Cub is was the 1970s samurai movie from mm -hmm. Japan, and um, it was I think mistakenly recommended by one of Star Wars social media managers at the time that this was an inspiration. I think she mentioned it on her Instagram or something that this was an inspiration for the Mandalorian. Um, and this is before the Mandalorian premiered. <laughs> so 
I don't think she was supposed to talk about it uh, because The Lone Wolf and Cub, it originated as a manga series, turned into a film series. Um, but it's about the lone wolf who is an assassin samurai um, and his child, his son, the cub of Lone Wolf and Cub. And um, their entire family was assassinated by, I think they're called shoguns, um, by like a, a neighboring group of people in feudal Japan. Um, and they go on this path of revenge, basically the father and the son together for their entire community and his wife and the baby's mother who was also murdered and all this. It's a very violent show. Just it's very violent. It's very, no, (laughs) it's very violent. There are multiple films. Um, but the, lone wolf the assassin the father the whole picture of it is this assassin who has basically a stroller with his baby in it and they go around murdering people (laughs) um in revenge but it's also very deep and in the first uh film there's this scene where after um everyone in their community has been killed the father um brings the son and he lays out a ball and a sword and his son is like maybe 16, 18 months old, not very old at all. And he tells his son that he has to make a choice. If he picks the sword, then he will go on this path of revenge with his father. If he picks the ball, then he's going to go meet his mother in the afterlife. Um, And he tells his son, I know that you don't understand this choice, but it's still your destiny to decide. And I thought that was such an interesting line of, I know you don't understand what I'm telling you, but you still have to make this choice. And the Lone Wolf and Cub series, there's this huge emphasis on like destiny and fate throughout it. And this is something we've talked a lot about in Star Wars and is very prevalent with Star Wars. And of course, Star Wars is heavily inspired, uh, especially by Japanese storytelling um, and Asian storytelling, but Japanese especially. Um, And so this being a direct inspiration, this film specifically being a direct inspiration for The Mandalorian makes a lot of sense. And Charlotte and I saw this scene of making the choice and we were like, this, this is, is coming up. <laughs> this, this is, is coming up. And we're like, by the end of season one, season one finale, Grogu's going to make a choice. <laughs> I thought for sure that the, the ball, though, would be the ball that he kept reaching right. for. Yeah, it felt like that was going to be it. And it is a continual theme throughout. But I still am like... I think that was an original plan. I really do. <laughs> I, I do too. Like, especially because Lone Wolf and Cub is the ball and the sword. Uh-huh. Uh, it feels like that it <laughs> should have been the ball in a lot of ways. But I wonder if production was like, yeah, but we can put a tiny chainmail in a Grogu shaped pencil. Well, here's and everyone the, was like, you know what? Sold. <laughs> Grogu needs a new outfit. The way he was flipping around in there, I was like, these clothes are too baggy. He needs Not a left sack. Yeah. He needs, he needs a, a tighter outfit. Something that like allows for movement, More like mobility. Yoda. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that scene Charlotte and I kind of obsessed over a lot. Um, it's a very like I think it's a very affecting scene from Lone Wolf and Cub. It really stays with you. There's also the scene too from Lone Wolf and Cub that I hope we get at some point. You know the scene where he's walking between the water and fire, like what feels like the astral plane <laughs> in a lot That's of ways so of the father and son. And I kind of hope maybe one day we see something like that with Grogu and Din. But yeah, it's, you know, it's all about choice. And um, I think we kind of get something similar here. Like, even though Luke is laying out these ultimatums for Grogu, like you've touched on Charlotte, this, it's so, it's so dogmatic, right? Of you can either 
defend your life as a Jedi and maybe never, ever see your your favorite Mandalorian again. Or you can go with the Mandalorian and never be a Jedi. <laughs> like It's inherently it's, frustrating. I want to I just want to acknowledge is. that. It is inherently frustrating to hear Luke Skywalker, who made the choice to stand by his father in his dying to make the choice to lay down his weapon, being like, yes. All right, Grogu, weapon or no. Like you yeah, and it yeah, it it's it makes me wonder a lot too about because on the one hand I think it's kind of funny because I I have to <laughs> in in my head canon like if I'm gonna spin out this kind of funny head canon about Luke so between Return of the Jedi and now when he's with Grogu I guess at some point he's kind of done that weird training session with Leia right whenever that happens and then she decides she's not gonna you know follow the path of the Jedi or something like that and is he just like waiting. <laughs> To find another force user and finally like no one he's doing them. he's doing things in Battlefront he gets a he gets a compass he's like understanding Jedi temples he's trying he's, he's, he's trying try- to he, find that Jedi is temples true. That is I just true. I want to give my guy Luke a little bit of credit he's, he's just doing big, he's like in his twenties there's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. to be like I'm gonna but start a temple like that's I kind of wonder if he got this. <laughs> This force, you know, his force senses were tingling when Grogu reached out into the force and he like immediately called Leia and was like, I found one. I found <laughs> got it. <laughs> I got a force user. And he's like, I'm going. I'm going now. <laughs> Leia's like, uh. uh all right. And then like he gets this first kid and he and he's like, oh, my God, it's a Yoda. He's like, there's literally no other Yodas. <laughs> he's like, of course. And I got to say, too, I think there there's also this kind of lovely poetry that Luke Luke's first like his master was Yoda in a lot of and like Obi-Wan but like Yoda especially was his master and um now his and like he watched Yoda's life end and now he's kind of here not at the beginning but at the beginning of of Grogu's training and like this chapter of Grogu's life I think that's kind of cool um to have two different Yoda species to have Yoda and Grogu on either end of like their life cycles effectively with Luke in the middle yeah, anyway, I kind of think that's fun. But uh, yeah, Luke like gets this student and then he realizes, oh, I don't actually know what to do with you. <laughs> and he just starts copying Yoda's lesson plan and it's not working. And uh, he even says that, right? I think, you know, we saw a lot of conversation online about what Luke is doing and how he's training Yoda, how it's working. And one, it's not working, but like to what you said, Charlotte, about giving Luke credit, Luke sees this in the episode. He tells Ahsoka it, that he's like, I don't think his heart is in it. What should I do? Um, He knows that this isn't working with Grogu. And that's ultimately why he gives them, gives him the choice of maybe, maybe you want to choose a chainmail. you know? I don't know. That is a perspective I actually hadn't really thought through that much is that Luke could potentially be struggling and then he gives him this choice that feels very dogmatic, but it's almost a way out for himself, which is interesting. Yeah, him too. Yeah. Okay. So I would say that all of that is a lot. And I I think it's something that we're going to be unpacking for a long time and questions that are going to continue to arise. And I just want to say that I think that it's really cool that we got this experience of wow, I hadn't really thought that much about who, like what Luke is doing during this time, you know, and how he could be struggling and maybe not on the surface, but like figuring it all out, you know. He's putting up a really good front as the the hero with no fear of his time. I mean, he put up the front also, just to throw this out there, in the beginning of Return of the Jedi. 
he was yeah, like, he I am a Jedi. And he comes in to, on Tatooine, you know, he comes in sort of like guns blazing with yeah. this concept, with this whole plan. And it works. But I think everyone's kind of surprised that it works. And, <laughs> <laughs> and this whole concept of I'm just returning from Jedi training and now I'm a Jedi now. No one really believes it. And it's just sort of like fake it till you make it kind of vibes. He's like a 25-year-old guy just trying to figure it out. And I, I don't know. It's just an interesting perspective. Again, one that I'm going to be thinking about a lot. And this whole section really adds a lot to my thoughts about personal choice within Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. I also just got to say that the music for this section with Grogu and Din and Luke, oh, real tearjerker. The very soft, like lullaby version of Din's theme while Din was looking at Grogu on the hill. Mm. You in the hill. I literally, this is, this is my hill I'll die on of emotional damage. You're dying on this hill because you're crying so hard. I, I am. <laughs> Come on. The lullaby version of Din's theme while he's looking longingly after his own son. I'm. It's so good. <laughs> so good. The music was really good though. I, I loved that being on this planet with Luke and Din predominant or with Luke and Grogu predominantly, we've got that like more orchestral uh, theming going on and that that kind of fits Grogu and Luke more than like the Boba and Din themes, you know? And we talked about this last week when we would have Grogu's theme kind of crop up as Din was thinking about Grogu in last week's episodes too. And so to have kind of this whole suite of it uh, while we were on this planet, was really beautiful and I I really liked it. Totally. Okay, let's get back to uh dinner. Tatooine. Yeah, Tatooine. <laughs> okay. So, The Book of Boba Fett, it's called The Book of Boba Fett and Boba's barely in this episode. And honestly, a little disappointing. I think we've already covered that, but the fact that we get back Din flies straight into the palace and it is awesome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this like going into the garage basically <laughs> of uh with all the dust getting kicked up i'm just loving how din is flying the starfighter it's just great and then we get fennec sort of laying out the whole plot basically of the entire show and how <laughs> and how <laughs> we're setting the stage for basically an all-out war against the pikes and i think it's not until later with the sanctuary and the sanctuary explosion, which, oh my God, we have to talk about, that that is has to be the catalyst in which it starts this concept of, I cannot believe you attacked something like that. And it was definitely 100% the Pikes. The question is, why? Really, why? But I am just, I have a lot of questions. Number one, is Max Rebo dead? Number two, is Garza <laughs> Whip dead? And if He's so... definitely dead. No, I don't think any of them are dead because the second watch, I noticed that the bomb was like very much at the front of the place and most of the people were like in the back. Hurt? Okay. Yeah, probably. But I feel like the bomb was a warning to Garza about not being clandestine about the fact that the pikes were using different territories and how things were heating up. People were noticing things are happening. It's also interesting because then the other opposite is I'm going down this this path of a theory with Garza, but I also think that she's a red herring <laughs> of it all. But the second watch, I was like, I don't know about this because I don't really know why the Pikes laid the bomb, except for this concept of the fact that 
the sanctuary could represent this concept of new Tatooine. It is shiny. It is the place everyone hangs out. So bombing it is a warning for your livelihood could be at, could be totally threatened if you don't let us come through here. I think too, we also have to remember that it could also just be a warning for Boba because as Garza mentioned to Boba, I think in the very first episode, you know, she says, oh, all of our tribute will go to you, Lord Fett. Like this is, this is part of Boba's jurisdiction. Uh, so I kind of wonder if it's just hitting True. at his, you know, the jewel in the crown of Boba Fett's jurisdiction is the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. But I kind of, I kind of think she's dead. I kind of think everyone, most other people there are dead. Like they did very specific, like single shots of a lot of people in there, not Max Rebo. <laughs> so that was pointed. So I think all the people they showed shots of could be dead. But then I'm like, Garza is such a cool character. Like, do you really just take her out like that? I don't know. The ultimate red um, herring. I guess it was if, if she is a red herring. Okay. About like, it's throwing us off the scent because at, I still am like, there's something more. There has to be something more. There, I agree. Because again, it's like when we look at the season as a whole, we've invested so much time into this space. Yes. And then we've lost time with like our, our din journey too. That could have been like whatever they're doing in the sanctuary. That it seems odd to just kind of come back and blow it up when we've just had like some interesting conversations there. And that's it. Totally. It's a good set and it feels weird to just blow it up. It yeah. has to mean I mean, something. That is definitely gone. This, <laughs> this is kind of my whole thing. In the beginning of this episode, I brought this up. I'm still like, what is the so what with the pikes? What is bigger? There has to be something bigger or more meaningful or something deeper, something more relative to Boba as a character with the pikes than is on the surface. If not, I feel like it's going to feel a little thin to me about this whole war with all these people that are meaningful, that are really like audience fan favorites all coming together to fight this like villain who's very clearly a villain. And not that all villains need to be like, like a Kylo Ren of it all. Like, no, not at all. I just want to know a little bit more besides they're just taking up the territory with the spice, which I think is bad. I think it's really bad, especially what we saw them do to the Tuscans. Like it's all really bad. I just, I'm still like, I'm just waiting for the so what of it all. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I I want there to be the next level, again, of like, what was the red herring for? If it is a red herring, um, I think I think there's still a lot left up in the air now with Boba Fett and like the, the character journey we kind of speculated for him now that we're going into the season finale. And the last time we really spent time with him was just kind of catching up his timeline, you know, with the flashbacks with Fennec. Yeah, it's also interesting because now at the end of this episode, we find out that Cad Bane is working for the syndicate, is very, very familiar with the Pike Syndicate. And, and we'll with do, Boba. And with Boba. It's a awesome. And yeah, and Fennec. <laughs> it's an awesome addition to this show. The Cad Bane of it all makes so much sense to me because the history is there in recent history too with the Bad Batch. Fennec and Cad had like an awesome fight. And so it was so good. And bringing Cad back in the Bad Batch felt like a move, you know? And I think at that point, everyone was like, he's totally in the Book of Boba Fett. That makes sense to me because here here he is dueling with Fennec. So part of me feels like they're going to have a moment in the next episode. Um, but even just the fact that Cad is working for the Pike Syndicate is one of those moments where I'm like, okay, so what else is there? Because 
that's a really big deal. Cad Bane is a bounty hunter for the ages and he has worked with like the best people. So. Okay. Okay. Wait. Okay. Remember my, my Holocron heist thread that you were like, (laughs) is super thin. No, it's not that then. You should it's, tell it's, everyone it's, about it. I just okay, I'm like I, I'm pushing it forward. Okay. It's it's <laughs> it's it's a stretch. I, I gather this. Okay. okay. It's a stretch. Um one of the episodes of Clone Wars that Charlotte and I have harped on a lot throughout the season, especially season one of The Mandalorian, was Holocron Heist, which is a very early season two episode in the Clone Wars, where Cad Bane is tasked by um, Palpatine to go and steal holocrons from the Jedi Temple that have basically the database of all of the Force-sensitive babies on it that are out in the galaxy. And so we see Anakin and Ahsoka trying to, you know, chase after Cad Bane. And then we see Cad Bane pretend to be a Jedi in order to take Force-sensitive children from their homes early and basically what we presume would be to give them to Palpatine to do tests on. Um, and so earlier today I was like, Charlotte, who, um, who's a baby, a force sensitive baby from that time period. It's Grogu. Like what if Grogu was on those lists? Like Cad Bane has been in a story like that, but I'll also just remind us that Cad Bane was going after another child in that batch of Omega. <laughs> so like, Cad Bane's going after a lot of children here. <laughs> and like, what if the bigger thing here is Grogu? And I don't know that there it seems like there's something there. You know what I mean? And like the fact that we saw the Kaminoans as a part of testing on Grogu, which is a part of Palpatine's plan, I think is supposed to be a direct thread back to a storyline like Holocron Heist and Cad Bane is involved in that. And now we have a clone that he was like a genetically modified clone like Omega and also like Boba. And he was chasing after Omega in the Bad Batch, another child. And now we have Grogu that's been very heavily inserted back into this storyline and Cad Bane is coming back to, I don't know, this just... <laughs> There's a lot of like circles circling each other basically and there's there's so much pe- there's so many pieces that it's that like that not could be tied between all of them. It could. Um, it doesn't have to be, but I cuz like I think the the choice of Cad Bane makes sense for other reasons too. Mm-hmm. But um it's in the back of your brain. It's Holocron Heist very much in the back of my brain all the time. I think it's a great episode and like that episode heavily involves Ahsoka too and like Who's to say she's not going to, like, who's to say Luke and Ahsoka are not all going to go back with Grogu and drop him off back home with Din on Tatooine and then get roped into this thing with the Pikes? Well, there's some missing memories that I also want to mention about Grogu yeah. that say, I mean, we still just don't have the full answer about why mm-hmm. Grogu was being hunted, what the whole, what that whole thing is. That was our our theory way back when about the fact that it connected to Palpatine's furthering theory about figuring out force sensitive children and stealing that and understanding that and then using that for the future, probably with cloning projects. We see that in Mandalorian. You literally just said this, but I'm repeating it. And I just feel like it, (laughs) it links, but like, I don't know how. (laughs) It links, but I'm like, is this, it feels so convoluted. <laughs> it's so much. And it's like, it's deep cut too, let's be honest. It's, it's all deep cut. So I yeah. can connect these threads. Is that fair? I don't know. <laughs> of 
this um yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, anyway, it's I, easy to explain to an audience in a show like this about, oh, they were hunting Grogu because he's force sensitive and Palpatine wanted that for like his contingency plan for the Empire for like the next generation of cloning troopers, things that were already explored in the series, you know? Well, yeah. And maybe, I mean, Cad Bane had, was the like the seeker of that. So, and continue to be a seeker of children with special abilities. Exactly. So perhaps Fennec for Palpatine. had some knowledge of that too. Everything is behind this, but like I don't know how it's ever going to manifest, if at all, honestly. Well, yeah. I just yeah, I'm never going to say never because I can't believe this episode has literal Cad Bane in it. Like right? live action Cad Bane. <laughs> oh my God. I I I think he's the best like visual uh what's the word like realization from animation into live action of like a like an alien creature or an alien character i think that's true our friend savannah is like the biggest the cad bane, cad bane the cad bane fan and she actually during this conversation just sent a comparison of like w- maybe what it should have been versus like what it is and i'm like you know what she's right i still think that they they killed the like swagger i think it it was awesome the gunfight was everything like it was so good and i thought it was really well shot and it's pretty clear that dave like lived out his dream of shooting like back to back western shootouts and like this one was so you almost thought you saw like a tumbleweed go by type of vibe. <laughs> it was so like, that's, on that's point. exactly how the town is set up. Yes, it right? is. Like, it was yeah. just perfect. I really enjoyed it. And it really did give me that like, wow. Okay. So it's very clear that Moss Pelgo or Freetown is going to join Boba. And here's why. But man, there's this is so much deeper because I cannot believe that Cad Bane is on literal tattooing going into a random town you know dealing with deputies yeah this like small like we spent some time in this episode talking about how it's like a small town versus a big city and that's exactly what he's doing he's picking off the little guys in order to make it so that the pikes can use it and how many little guys is going to pick up pick off before like a whole full-on war begins and i feel like we have one episode left it better be a really freaking long episode (laughs) (laughs) because I miss Boba and Fennec and I feel like we have a lot of things to tie up I don't know if this series is going to have two seasons I've been operating on like this is a closed story I'm looking at my poster right now and it just says original series versus limited series so I think this could go either way but I really hope that um, like at least this is, is like, tied up. Just did a quick reference. It's like it's. I'm looking at it right now. My Boba Fett poster that I got. They referenced it. Um. Yeah, at the Rogue One screening, and I still have to send it to our friend Tori. Um, I yeah, it doesn't say limited series like some of the other ones do. <laughs> so. Semantics. Semantics are important. Yeah. Uh, very quickly reference my book of Boba Fett poster and <laughs> here's what I have to say about it I I will say that now we have two people that are heavily involved with Omega in close contact with Boba Fett and I just can you imagine if like if we had a Vader Luke situation you know like in Return of the Jedi when Vader's like your sister and <laughs> what if Cad Bane says something like that to Boba Fett <laughs> like oh my gosh <laughs> 
right? We talk so much in Bad Batch about Boba and Omega like being, you know, very similar to brother and sister in a lot of ways. That's very different from Omega and her relationship or her connection to the rest of the Bad Batch in the sense that they are not aged up. Boba and Omega are not aged up the way the Bad Batch were. Um, and how even then we're talking about Boba wanting a family and that this could be his sister out there that maybe he tries to contact. And I still would love to see that story. But I mean, if he's not with her now, I wonder if something happened to her. I don't know. But I've wanted, I've always wanted Fennec to kind of reference this time with the Bad Batch. And maybe that's because, I don't know, that's the story. The story she's going to reference we haven't seen yet. I hold out hope for that. But I feel like she should talk about it. And maybe I think Cad Bane will at least reference the fight he had with Fennec if maybe. he doesn't reference Omega outright. I don't think but Omega. Gonna, I don't know. I, I don't want to get too excited about Omega because no. part of me thinks that the story of Boba and Omega finding each other is in the Bad Batch, not here. But that doesn't mean that... But why she, are they together now? Yeah, that doesn't... Because he, and he's not even reflecting on like the fact... I don't know. It's. I feel like that story is in animation, but I do also think that everything is on the table and I never want to say never because we have literal Cad Bane in this episode and we just spent two episodes in a show about the book of Boba Fett with the Mandalorian and literal Luke Skywalker. So I, I, everything is here. So I don't know. It could go either way and I don't want to like rain on anyone's parade, but I just don't want to get too excited about Omega. I love that character so much and it would be so cool to see her as an adult and kind of fight side by side with Boba, but I don't know if we've earned that yet. I don't think we're there. I've earned it. You know, we have earned it, but I don't know if we collectively (laughs) have earned it. I've earned it. We deserve this. It's payday. Next Wednesday's payday. Uh, there's gonna clear. be there's a lot of I, I worry about a finale that has like a lot of expectations about like going well, into it, but and they, they did it themselves. So many characters yeah. too, which, yeah, which is like already like a whole always thing. been a worry. Um, honestly, yeah, it's like uh, always our thing. Like it's so many characters, and it's like leading to a big battle. And I hate big battles. I don't hate them, but I always like when things end up in. I shouldn't say I don't like big battles. I just worry about big battles because yeah. I think that sometimes they feel so bloated and without character and something I really liked about the book of Boba Fett in the beginning is that it was a smaller scale we're staying on Tatooine that obviously like changed when we shifted to the Mandalorian and you can feel two ways about it I certainly do returning back to this finale I don't know it feels a little big it feels like we're getting really big in what I liked about the show in the beginning is the small scale but that doesn't mean that I don't like the stuff like that. Like, I'll probably like the finale, yeah. but we'll see. I mean, I'm sure I'll like the finale. But I think about our early discussions about Boba and, and especially coming out of episode two, which still is just, I Pop tier freaking Star love Wars. that episode. <laughs> it really is. And I thought we had such, like, fun speculation about, like, what was going to happen with Boba and especially this idea of, like, rebirth and resurrection and, like, bringing water back to Tatooine and, like, even our whole, like, kind of my crack theory of really tracking kind of similar plot points with Attack of the Clones. And it does feel like we lost that and I don't feel like we can wrap all of that up in 
a finale episode, especially one that is gearing itself towards being a war, a battle for Tatooine against the Pikes. I mean, I'm happy to be proven just wrong, but it doesn't really feel like that's the episode we're going to get. And so I hope that that means that this is not a limited series, but has a season two. Um, Or when we go into season three of The Mandalorian, we get, you know, spinoff episodes like we've had with Din, but focus on what's going on with Boba and on Tatooine or whatever else he's decided to do to do next. But I think he I would imagine if things go well next week that he would stay on Tatooine. Agreed. I yeah, I don't know. I'm excited. I can't wait for the finale. Again, I hope it's like 90 minutes. This episode was absolutely bonkers. <laughs> You're gonna have to get up I, earlier if it's 90 minutes. I think I'm staying um, up till 3 a.m. I didn't do it this I, week. I was actually you talked up about it at 3 a.m. <laughs> I can't. last night, I can't. and I was like, I can't do it. I just can't because I'll be up all night. So, like, so hyped, especially this episode. I would have been so hyped. So I, I next week, you should do it with me. That's not my vibe. That's yes, not my it vibe. is. If you've gotten up at like 5 a.m. for like BTS concerts, you can do it for Star Wars that's and on go the back weekend. to sleep. That's on the this weekend. That's only ever happened on the weekend. This is true. <laughs> it's a very different story for a work day. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Um, if we went back to those those Friday or Saturday releases, absolutely. Mm. Um, I like Wednesdays. But that's never going to happen. I really do actually like the yeah. Wednesday release way better, honestly, than the Friday release. It's better for um, podcasting for us and it also makes the beginning of the week way nicer because it gets so close. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. So I'm really glad they made that switch. It's just an administrative aside. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Is there anything we've missed? (laughs) We've missed a lot, as usual. Most famous disclaimer. Mm -hmm. But Um, no, I don't think so. I I am, my brain is still swirling with thoughts (laughs) about this. Yeah. Yeah, this is absolutely an episode I hope we get to revisit with new kind of nuance put onto it in the future. Um, I think this episode will be very much like you said, Charlotte, something like Siege of Mandalore, where an episode like Siege of Mandalore works so well because of everything that is kind of layered on top of it and all of the meaning that we can glean from other pieces of Star Wars. And I think that this episode will continue to become that. It'll be like, it'll be like a cast iron pan that gets seasoned over time. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What a weird metaphor. (laughs) No, that's, I think, okay, I'm going to be honest. I think the original trilogy is a cast iron skillet that gets seasoned and everything else is like smaller cast iron skillets that are like earning their season. Okay. Yeah. We've got like the 12 inch Mm-hmm. is the OT and I now I would say the PT as well yeah I the second agree. trilogy and now like the TV no they're, they're all like, 12 inches okay they're all standard size it's just the amount of the fact how seasoned they are it's oh yeah that's what we're gaining too that's true and like yeah we've had the original trilogy cast iron for 40 years it's, yeah it's got a lot of season on it yep yeah and like we a have, whole lifetime ahead of it and ever so exactly. does everything else but yeah. it's still great in a lifetime worth of use, I guess. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. Love I our food me- metaphors. Uh, <laughs> no, this is my okay. bread and butter. So I know it is. I know it is. Um, but all right. Uh, 
<laughs> I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you guys for following along on our ramble through chapter six of the book of Boba Fett. We've got the finale coming up next week. We are very much looking forward to it. And I hope you guys are too. If you want to find us online, you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Flusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. We also have our website, skytalkers.com or our Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook page. Or you can email us, um, hello at skytalkers.com. Those are all of the many places you can find us. And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, we would really love it if you took a second to go and do that. It helps other people find our show. And if you're interested in other ways to support our show, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there and how to get involved in our Patreon-only Discord, which, let me tell you, was popping off today. Popping off. Popping <laughs> off. I woke up at 7 and it was... I finished the episode at like 7.45-ish and it, I went into Discord and it said 250 plus messages. That's when you know. Like, it's going to be right. a doozy of All an right, episode. All right, here we discuss. go, scroll. I got it. And, and the thing is too, we have a lot of uh, patrons who are like across the United States mostly and um, some international, but mostly across the United States. And so we've got West Coast people that finish, you know, that, that have the gift of starting at midnight. But like all those, it's like, I got to get through the midnight crowd and then the, the 4 a.m. crowd of people who've watched it at 3 a.m. and then the, there's like a small grouping of us in like the 6 37 a.m. crowd <laughs> and then and then here comes charlotte <laughs> 8 30 that's me but <laughs> uh it is it was really fun today going through everyone's opinions because this you know this was a pretty a really big episode and had a lot of conversation about people who thought having this episode with Luke worked people who thought it didn't and all shades in between um and it was really it was really great to see everyone's thoughts on it honestly throughout the discord so if you're interested in getting involved in that and also all of our other channels on our discord that are not just the Mandalorian but everything else under the Star Wars sun and real life, too. We have other things we talk about besides Star Wars, surprisingly. Um, you can head on over to our Patreon and check those out. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons. Andrew, Stephen, Sarah, Dylan, Aaron, Hunter, Allison, Timothy, Ashley, Josh, Brandon, Miss Art, Rebuild, Jordan, Eunice, and Lola. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next week, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. 